oddly enough, the, the probably the most interesting strength program I ever worked with was equestrian vaulting. And if you don't know what that is, it's essentially gymnastics on the back of a horse. Okay, I was going to say, were you working with the people or with the horses? <laughs> Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo. I am host Jeff Hubler, Senior Strength Research Scientist. And I'm Neil Henderson, Head of Wahoo Sports Science. Today, we're going to talk about strength training. We're going to continue this discussion that we started last week with Dr. Ginger, where we covered some broad terms of that are often associated with strength training and how these various mechanisms fit together in a session. So activation, stability, power, those things. Today... Neil and I are going to talk specifically about loaded strength, why it's important for everyone, including endurance athletes, and how to smartly apply the loaded strength to your training. So with that big picture, loaded strength, we're talking about some sort of added resistance. From that, you have additional force compared to if you were just doing a body weight type of exercise. You can also get that additional resistance through like acceleration using a plyometric type of movement where you're dropping, you have additional gravity, additional acceleration from gravity that you then resist. So sometimes I call resistance training strength training or strength training resistance training for that. And there's a lot of different ways you can get your resistance. It could be from a dumbbell, barbell, band, band, redirected gravity. There's a lot of tools out there. But let's back up just a little bit and give you some background here. You probably know Neil Henderson as a cycling coach, but he's got, he's got a deep background. Tell us a little bit. In fact, when I was younger, I was involved in a little bit more strength and power side of things. So track and field while I was in high school was kind of my primary, even though, yes, I did swim. Um, I actually played football, like American football, as in like I was defensive end and outside linebacker. Lineman. I was a little thicker then, a little stronger um, in, in those kind of ways. But within that, those type of sports, track and field, pole vault, javelin, discus, uh, I was a thrower, a more explosive strength and power athlete. And so I definitely had a, a lot more strength training as part of what I did and a, and a heavy reliance on that capability that would be related to my performance. So as I went to school at Penn State, I also uh, continued on in, in the strength and conditioning side of things. I was an NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association, strength and conditioning coach. I was actually a strength and conditioning coach with an AHL ice hockey team. I did a little bit more with the off-ice conditioning on the bikes, but also had some input into the strength training that they were doing. And my master's work that I did at CU Boulder was regarding the effects of strength training on endurance performance, specifically in triathletes and really looking at where the differential effects, depending on the kind of sport between swimming, cycling, and running. Neil knows his stuff and he still walks the walk. So I can attest to that. Yeah. Similar history. You know, I started back as a strength coach, played all those field sports in, in school, and then went on to play rugby. And the first strength and conditioning programs I, I used to build were, were for rugby. And then worked with some soccer teams, worked with the Rapids and, you know, working their strength and conditioning program, some hockey and gymnastics. And um, oddly enough, the, the probably the most interesting strength program I ever worked with was equestrian vaulting. And if you don't know what that is, it's essentially gymnastics on the back of a horse. Okay. I was going to say, were you working with the people or with the horses? <laughs> and talk about some athletes. And, and, and through that, you know, what I really loved to to do was uh, look at the movements and the mechanics that were required to 
excel in these sports, which took me into the physical therapy round, doing muscle activation techniques, foundations training, looking at different ways to load the body and build structural integrity and performance, and which brought me into the endurance world where I started working with uh, swimmers, runners, cyclists, and trying to bring that, you know, like I said, that structural integrity that is, is very common with field sports into the endurance world, which isn't, isn't quite so common. Yeah. So let's kind of get into a little bit of the applications of strength training and loaded strength training or loaded resistance training for endurance athletes and some of the reasons why we do it. One of the first things is that strength or resistance training is a potent training stimulus. Whenever we're doing any kind of training, whether it is riding a bike or doing some sort of a strength movement, we're trying to change our body's capability of doing some sort of work. And so when we think about how muscle fiber is recruited, there's really three primary ways to maximally activate the muscle that we have. Number one is via maximal force or torque. And so heavy resistance is part of that. That's how you can maximally recruit a muscle. The other way is through the maximum speed or velocity. So like on a bike, that could be cadence would be that. Uh, other types of movements, you know, the speed. And when you maximize speed, you will be maximizing recruitment from that side of things. Both of those are two different levels of kind of like a neuromuscular recruitment force or velocity. The product of those two things when they're submaximal, so a submaximal force or torque and a submaximal speed and velocity multiplied by one another gives you power. Power. And peak power is the third way to maximally recruit muscle fiber. In addition to that, some of the other added values of loaded strength training are increasing the integrity of the connective tissue. And this goes beyond just the muscle, specifically tendons, right? So most people have heard of tendonitis. One way to, and, and tendonitis is essentially an inflammation of the tendon, right? And that usually happens when there's not enough strength or integrity in that tendon. But just like a callus on your hand, when you start to increase the friction around that and increase the load over time, your body lays down tissue and builds that tendon so that it's stronger and it's going to resist tendonitis. So a lot of times you, you get tendonitis, you start doing some big gear work early in the season, you haven't properly, you don't take the right progression in there, and you're going to get irritation. So strength training can, can alleviate that. And that's the big thing that a lot of times it's the muscle can actually overwork what the connective tissue can handle. And so when a lot of times people think about strength and resistance training, they're just thinking muscle, muscle, muscle. But in fact... It's that connective tissue improvement that we see in integrity that will prevent some of those potential overuse injuries. So it's not just the muscle that we're trying to work here with strength and resistance training, loaded strength training. It's the connective tissue. Right, which leads us into the next thing, which is increased bone density. And most of us have heard that. And, and again, it's the same thing. You know, you, uh, tissue is just a continuum of density in your tissue. Muscle is not quite as dense, tendons are more dense, and bones are obviously even more dense. And so when we continue to put load through that, we, we increase the density of the bone. And that's really important for cycling athletes who, you know, we actually know some studies among elite and professional riders that they actually have low bone density, you know, between somewhere between osteopenia and osteoporosis. Those are pretty bad. And even for a master's athlete, if you're not doing any other weight-bearing exercise, 
exercise, plyometric type work, running, strength training is the one thing you really need to add to be healthy to maintain the bone mass you have because you do have some net decline over time. It's non-negotiable. It just, it needs to be there. And the way you do it, which we're going to talk about a little further down here, progressive, take your time, build. There's some more benefits. So from a physiology point of view, if your muscle is contracting at greater than half of its maximal force production, there's going to be a period where the arteries and veins inside the muscle are being collapsed which is going to reduce blood flow, which is what we call ischemia. And so it's going to not allow oxygen and fuel being delivered into the muscle during that period where that force is greater than half of its maximum capability. It's also going to reduce the ability to remove and clear some of the byproducts like lactate. So having weak muscles, even endurance, can actually be a problem. Another benefit is hormone response growth hormone, testosterone production, all in response to strength training. It's beneficial for recovery. It'll help with sleep. And it's often exactly the opposite of what endurance training elicits. Exactly. The terms, you know, sometimes people will say anabolic for increasing and then catabolic for breaking down. With endurance training, we see a lot more catabolic activity, whereas with strength training, we see more anabolic response to that kind of training. Keep in mind, nutrition is always an important part or factor in this. So you do need to have adequate protein, not extreme amounts. You know, you don't need weight gainer 8,000 or whatever is cool these days. <laughs> um, you need adequate protein, you know, probably one to two grams per kilogram of body weight plus carbohydrate after your training session to maximize growth hormone release, which is one of those things that'll help us repair, recover from any training we do more quickly. All of those things are, are important. There are obvious reasons to add strength training if you're not doing it already. But let's, let's just touch on a, a few key terms here, or a few, few key ideas, rather, when you're going to add strength training or if you're already doing it. We want to use the term progressive overload, and I want to draw out both of those things. Progressive, meaning we start where you are and you progress gently, gradually with a plan, and overload just enough overload. Don't come in smashing like, oh yeah, I'm really ready to rock and roll. And you you do too much on one day and then you're going to pay the price. That's not going to get you where you want to go. Yeah. More is not better. More is more, but more is not better. If that stress is so great that you have to take a week off, well, you've really, you're, you're actually doing less training density and you're not going to get the gains as if you were progressive and be able to do two training sessions in a week. Yeah. And you know, I like to say this, if frequency is more powerful than intensity. So have consistency, build volume over time. Strength training tends to make people sore, right? Uh, it can. Depending uh, on a few factors, right? Depending on a few factors. You know, most people have heard of DOMS or delayed onset muscle soreness, which is from disruption of the tissue. Usually lasts from anywhere from 36 to 72 hours, depending on how much tissue damage you've done. And so with that, you know, the progressive, if you're smart and intelligent with your overload, you're going to have much less of that. But if you go aggressive quickly, you're going to see much more of that. There's also certain types of movements that are going to be much more damaging effectively at, at any level. So the eccentric phase of what we do. So when we're lowering a weight against gravity, that's going to do it. Also, if you do things like a plyometric type of movement, when you use gravity to load, so if you do like a box jump and you step down, you're getting that eccentric 
eccentric loading. For those of us who like to ski, skiing is actually controlled eccentric movement into the turn and then a quick concentric as we shift over to the other side. So skiing tends to do that. Running downhill will definitely do it. Even walking downhill with a little bit of a load or Heck, even walking downhill without any load, if you're unaccustomed, if you're not used to it, that that breaking every step is going to be eccentric and will really tear you up. And one of the reasons we get in trouble with that is you can always do more load eccentrically than you can concentrically, which can kind of lead you into, oh, yeah, I got danger this. Danger zone. Yeah, danger zone. And, you know, it'll come back and bite you. So just just be really careful. And just want to jump back up a little bit. And we talked about building the integrity of the tendon and the tissue. And, and that takes time. It takes time to do that. One of the things you just said is plyometrics. It's a buzzword. People get really excited about doing some jumping. Yeah, I can do, I can do this. It's no problem. It doesn't hurt well. The problem is, is just like you said earlier, you can do more with the muscle than you necessarily can with the connective tissue. And if you overdo it, it's going to take time to repair. And you may not, it may not show up for two or three weeks, but the damage is done. So progressive overload. Start with just enough, take your time, plan it out. And with that, your strength should incorporate a little bit of whole body movement, not just the isolated areas that you think are important, but the rest of that chain is important. So if we think of like sprinting on a bike, I mean, it's good to have powerful quads and glutes and calves, but if your upper body is weak and you get out of the saddle or your core is weak, your back extensors are weak, you're not going to be able to transfer that power into the bike. So you need to have across the entire body strength. So if you thought of it in terms of a bike, that'd be your bottom bracket, the frame being able to handle that transfer of power. General strength, what we're trying to do is distribute that load through the system, use as much musculature as we can to stabilize the rest of the body. So with the Within the context of cycling, there's a few things that we know, you know, are probably more important with strength and resistance training for different types of riding. So like if we look at different disciplines like track cycling, there's high torque or force required for standing starts. Now, not every race has much reliance on that. Say a Madison kind of two person race, mass start race. There is a start at the beginning, but it's not timed. It's a, there's a neutral lap. And so that really doesn't matter. It's something like a kilo or a team sprint or a individual or team pursuit where it's a timed event starting in that gear you're finishing in where you're going to have that extreme reliance and need to be able to produce high torque, to be able to accelerate and get up to speed quickly. And then you're also going to have high peak power also in those events from the sprint type aspect. You might have that as well in some of the endurance type events, the sprint part, but you might not need the torque development as much depending on the kind of event. For those high torque events, loading with a heavy load, obviously we've progressed up to that with lower reps. That's where that's going to come in and be important. And then almost on the other end of that, we're still talking about peak powers, but we're talking about high speed of BMX. Exactly. They accelerate quickly. So they have a couple pedal strokes where there's a bit of torque, but they're going down a ramp. So it doesn't have that same torque demand as a track that's level. And so they're able to accelerate and they have to accelerate really quick. And with that, they actually hit the highest peak power of pretty much any cycling athlete. When we think about road riding, like 
timing, time trialing and climbing specifically, we have a muscular endurance component. So it's not a, an extreme torque or force being applied, but it is being sustained. And there's a positional aspect of being able to produce that force and power in a given position. This is where we might look at a lot of posterior chain work, being able to stabilize your, your torso your cervical, your hips going side to side so that you can put power into the pedals, but it's, it's more of an endurance type of deal rather than a peak power. It's, it's muscular endurance. And then moving into mountain bike and cyclocross, we have a lot more asymmetrical and rotational strength needs because we're moving on our bike a lot more. There's a lot of kind of what we call body English, right? We're up yeah, and down yeah, and we're super on dynamic. moving around. That dynamic requires a, a different type of strength with all of that in mind, strength and resistance training for cyclists definitely has a value. You might need to have a phase where you're working on just that general strength before you get into the more specific demands. And that general phase, you know, probably is a few months for most of us, right? It's not something you just spend like two or three weeks doing, right? No. Strength training is a year-round deal. Hands down, it's a year-round. It just needs to be there all the time, period. Always. And again, that that aspect is associated with not only your performance, but also just your general health and well-being. All right. Well, that is it for another episode of the Knowledge Podcast by Wahoo. We hope you've learned some new information about the value of loaded strength or resistance training to help you be a better athlete.